is your description of hell? You know, there are many who would treat it lightly. Here's Pastor Steve Converse to begin today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Some people say, I'm just going to go party with all my friends. No, you're not. I'm not saying all your friends might not be there, but don't think that you're going to be communicating with them back and forth. You're going to be totally isolated from the presence of God in a horrible place, knowing that you're there because of your sin. Jesus, power and sin. That's the title of our series. We welcome you to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, returns us now to our series, looking at Jesus and his power over sin. And today, we focus on the consequences of sin, apart from Christ and his grace. It's a sober look at what happens when we turn our hearts and our minds from Christ. Here now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth is Pastor Steve Converse. You can turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 8. Just follow along and I'll I'll read the text for us this morning out of Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now this was the most despised man in society back then. He was a leper. He was basically a living illustration of sin. That's what he was. And so the man was not only an outcast because of the disease itself, but also because of that being that living illustration of sin. He was unclean ceremonially. And so you can imagine the Pharisees of the day looking at Jesus healing and actually touching this individual. It just blew their mind. I mean, they could not imagine anybody would start such a a ministry by reaching out to such a person as a leper. I mean, if he wanted to be popular, he could have maybe went and healed some of the Pharisees. I'm sure some of them were sick, but it doesn't say he did that. He reached out to the kind of the lower caste of society. That was the leper. Well, today we're in a total different kind of scenario here in in Matthew chapter 8. And look at, as I read this, beginning in verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another one, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done unto you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, we see here someone who was very respected. He wasn't someone who was disrespected like the leper. A a Roman soldier back then, even though the, the Jews didn't really care for him because they were in bondage to him, they still had the respect. 
And especially this, this man here, because you, know, you, you find this man who's considered to be an outcast by Jewish people because he was a Gentile. So the two don't mix, you understand that. And worse than that, he was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile who was a Roman soldier. And even worse than that, he was what they called a Samaritan, a Gentile who was basically uh, born of, of a, a mixture of marriage between a Jew and a Samaritan, or in, and a Gentile. And the, the Samaritans were born, and they were just despised by the Jewish people. And so he had basically three strikes against him here. So he was almost as despised as the leper. And yet the Lord healed his servant. And so he really kind of sets the precedent here right from the very beginning. You look, I'm not here to put on a big fancy show. I'm not here to get people just to like me. I'm here basically to reach out to whoever needs to be reached out to. And he crossed all borders. Well, first of all, let's look here. It says in verse 5, and when Jesus had entered Capernaum. Now, Capernaum's an interesting place. It's basically after Jesus finished his sermon on the mount. He came down from the mountain, it says, and he entered Capernaum. And it's this little town northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's, it's probably one of the most beautiful places that you can go. I mean, there's flowers and there's all sorts of things, but it's also basically deserted because Jesus cursed it. No one lives there. And uh, it's not a thriving city anymore. Uh, that's amazing that the Bible, once again, holds true. Well, this, this centurion apparently had the respect of even the Jewish people in his day. A lot of times when we run across centurions in the Bible, the Bible generally speaks pretty well of them, if you notice that. But this guy was also a Samaritan, and so he had not a whole lot going for him. But on the other hand, uh, he earned the respect of the, the, the Jewish people of the day, and uh, they, they recommended that Jesus heal his, uh, his servant. Now, when you see the, the, the centurion approach Jesus, you see there in verse 6, it says, here's what he said, Lord, my servant is lying at home with what we might call palsy or some kind of a neurological disease that's causing him to, to have some paralysis in his body. But it's interesting that he says, first of all, he calls Jesus Lord, just like the leopard did. In other words, he's recognizing his divine authority, all right? And he petitions Jesus on the behalf of what we would say is a slave who was a child. And they had servants in their homes back then. And it wasn't uncommon when they, they had a, a mother and father as a servant, they would also enlist the child as a servant. And they would do certain tasks around and they were cared for. It was something that was back in, in that day, slaves were not looked up to. Okay, It wasn't something that you would look at, oh, gee, you know, that guy's a slave. Boy, he's got really a lot of things going for him. All right, But here it's interesting that this centurion, this guy who was over probably 100 Roman soldiers, kind of a rough guy, he was concerned about a child slave. Because back then, they were looked at almost as inanimate objects in their culture, which is sad, but that's, that's the way it is. Um, Aristotle said this, there could be no friendship or justice toward inanimate things. Indeed, not even toward a horse, an ox, or a slave since master and slave have nothing in common. He said, a slave is a living tool, and a tool is an inanimate slave. Sad commentary on history. But that's how they were viewed. Although the Romans viewed slaves as just possessions, as things, this centurion was obviously different. He really was. 
And he wasn't coming to Jesus saying, Lord, you know, I'm sick. I need this. I need that. No, he was coming to Jesus on behalf of a, of a child who was his servant in his house. And obviously his reputation kind of goes before him. Because if you look over at, at Luke chapter 4, or chapter 7, excuse me, Luke chapter 7, and just look at verses 4 and 5. Luke chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. It says, and when, he, and when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, the one for whom we should do this was deserving. Speaking of the centurion. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. All right? Now, there's kind of a, a little, not contradiction, but there's an interesting thing. If you read the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 8, and then you go over to Luke chapter 7, and you read the account there, you're saying, well, wait a minute. Matthew makes it sound like the centurion himself came to Jesus. Whereas Luke says, no, no, no. Um, basically, he sent a, kind of a Jewish leader's entourage to Jesus on behalf of the centurion. Well, that's what they believe happened. And I think Matthew just kind of leaves out that part, and he just says, well, there was this dialogue. He doesn't say how the dialogue took place. There was just a dialogue between the centurion and Jesus. All right? He left out the part that the dialogue was carried by these Jewish leaders because the, the Roman soldier didn't feel um, worthy enough to be in the presence of Christ. And so here we see this guy's reputation go before him. He had a, a good reputation with the Jewish leaders. He built them a synagogue. He obviously was not your, your basic Roman soldier. In verse 7 of Matthew 8, he says, And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Okay, now remember, he's probably saying this through the Jewish leaders. So the, the leaders, the, the, the uh, religious people run back to the centurion and say, Hey, Jesus said he's going to come. This is the deal. He's on his way. All right? And uh, that was basically his reward for his faith. Jesus told the messengers sent by the centurion that he would come and heal the, the Gentiles, the Samaritan's uh, servant. But according to Luke, when you go over to Luke and you read this account, obviously Jesus never arrived at the Roman soldier's house. And I think it was because the Roman soldier, realizing that Jesus was on his way to his house, said, oh, I, I'm not worried. I'm not even a Jew. I can't have this, 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 this Jewish man come in. That would be a defilement for him to come in the house of a Gentile. I don't want to defile him. And so he sent word back and said, hey, you know, you don't have to come. And here's what his response was here in verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Look at the humility of this guy. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Basically, he's telling Jesus, hey, don't come any further. Just stop right there. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. It would be a wasted trip. You know, it wasn't like they had their little moped and they were, you know, jetting down the dirt road over to the centurion's house. I mean, they had to walk everywhere. So, you know, he's, he's thinking about this. And his message is expressed by his humility. Don't, I don't want you to come in. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. See, today, that's so different than today. There's some people that think somehow they're doing God a favor by becoming a Christian. You know, look at me. Now I'm a Christian and God, you know, I'm, I'm God's gift to, to everybody on earth. Uh, the truth is, beloved, that we're not even worthy to enter his presence. So I love the centurion's response here. I mean, this is a guy who worked his way up through the ranks. He probably was over a hundred some men. Think of him as a kind of a, gom, a combat-oriented drill sergeant. And yet, on the other side, he was clearly gentle. He was clearly humble. He was clearly meek and sensitive. He cared for his sick slave, this child. 
He was probably a, a God-fearing Gentile. And then you look at his faith in verses 8 and 9. Not only did he come to Jesus in humility, but he says, only speak a word and the servant will be healed. <laughs> in other words, I know you don't have to come here to do it, Jesus. I've seen your power probably on display. That's probably where he gets the knowledge of Jesus' authority. But he also understands Jesus' ability. He probably have seen people uh, healed by Jesus. And he thought, wow, okay, he doesn't need to come to my house to do this. I don't want people to think that he's going to defile and break the law and all this stuff, enter the house of a Gentile. So, hey, you know what? You don't have to come. Just say the word. Do we have faith like that today? I mean, you know, we have a little problem. Things get in a tizzy in our life. And man, we, you know, the last place we go is God. You know, we sit around and worry, 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 worry about things. And we wonder why we have all these physical problems due to the worry. <laughs> and God's saying, hey, I'm right here. I could deal with this thing right now if you want. You know, just, just be willing to submit to my will. So he saw his ability, also knew his authority. It says there, for I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say unto this man, go, and he goes, and another one come, and he comes. To my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. You know, what, people say, what, what does that mean? Why would he bring that up? What he's doing here, he's, he's acknowledging Jesus' authority. He already called him Lord, and so he knows apparently who he is. And what he's saying is, I understand your authority. There might be some around here who might question it. <laughs> he's probably looking at the religious leaders of Jesus' day. But as a man of authority, I know what it means to have authority. And I can see authority in you. I can see authority in everything you do and in everything you say. And so he was clearly under the right impression of who Christ was. And then you look at verse 10, and it says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to his followers, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. You ever wonder what you'd have to do to make Jesus marvel in your presence? I mean, this is the Son of God. He knows everything. And yet this guy's faith just kind of, boy, it made Jesus marvel at it. Yet that's some unique faith. It tells us that Jesus here in his humanness was literally amazed at the faith of this guy and that he was a Gentile. And he kind of rebukes the leaders of that day by, by his follow-up there. He says, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I bet you they're standing around going, Ouch, <laughs> you're pointing to a Gentile? A Samaritan? A Roman soldier? And you're saying they ha he has greater faith than us? The religious, pious people of Jesus' day? Probably standing around with their robes on. Even Christ's own disciples were rebuked, you remember? When he said, you know, you have little faith. Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father. And Jesus replied, have I been with you such a long time and you, haven't, you don't know me, <laughs> Philip? Thomas wouldn't believe until he saw Jesus in person after the resurrection. But this centurion, this Gentile Samaritan soldier, the lowest of the low, had great faith. His example shows that some Gentiles would demonstrate greater faith than those in Israel. And you know what? That's not a far cry from what we see today. You know, the church of Jesus Christ today is mainly made up of who? Gentiles. I mean, there, there are some Messianic Jews that, that come into the fold, but very few. And Jesus kind of was, was clear here. He said, you know what? This guy has more faith than, than most of you Jewish folks here. And then he basically gives him a prediction. He says in verse 11, I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
See, there's going to be a coming time, a great and glorious kingdom called the millennial kingdom. And it's going to be followed by the eternal kingdom. That's what prophecy tells us. And in that first kingdom, God's wonderful promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will come to pass. Salvation comes through Abraham's seed. We know that. But we are sons of Abraham by faith. And so we receive blessing because we're part of that same covenant. And that's precisely what Jesus is saying here in verse 11. The many who would come from the east and the west are those Gentiles who would come into the fold, which is literally, if you think about it, east and west of Israel. And so he predicted that his kingdom would be filled with Gentiles. And then he went on and he basically denied the religious of his day. And he made this shocking kind of a, a statement here. He says in verse 11, he says, And I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and sit down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 12, But the sons of the kingdom, you can say, quote, sons of the kingdom, will be cast out into utter darkness. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the religious leaders of his day. It's a very powerful statement that Jesus is making here. The Jewish people were called the sons of the kingdom. Because by right, they are heirs to the promise. In spite of that, many here will not be part of the kingdom because they don't come by faith. They think it's simply because of their physical lineage. In John chapter 8, verses 37 and following, it says this, I know that you are of Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Can't you just hear them, you know, dressed in the religious, you know, uh, robes and everything? Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto him, if you were Abraham's children, you would not, you would do the works of Abraham. But you seek to kill me. You are father. You are of your father, the devil. Wow. What a strong rebuke Jesus placed upon them. And basically he kind of made that prediction that, you know what, there's going to be more Gentiles in this kingdom than there will be Jews. And he says, as a result of that, there's going to have to be punishment involved. If you're not part of the kingdom, then there's going to be some punishment. And it it's, uses the phrase there, outer darkness. It says, but the sons of, king, of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. Why? Because of their lack of faith and trust in Christ. Now, if you think about hell... You don't hear a lot of messages on hell, but one thing you know about hell is that it's filled with fire, the Bible says, and yet it's also dark. Have you ever been in the presence of a fire and yet have it completely dark? I never have. So God does something supernaturally in hell. And uh, it's not only a place of darkness, but it's a place of fire. And it's this phenomenon that only God can create for this eternal punishment. Outer darkness, hell is a place just like heaven is a place. I mean, we're real quick to talk about heaven. We're real quick to talk about, you know, roads paved with gold and, and all sorts of things. But we don't want to talk a lot about hell. Well, it's just as real a place. And there's just as real people go there. Okay? And we, we need to be reminded of that on occasion. There's going to be pain in hell. It says they're weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, it's a horrible place. In Matthew 13, 42, it says and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty-two thirteen says, Then the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, There shall be where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Matthew 24:51 says, and cut him asunder and point him his portion with the hypocrites where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, whatever you do, beloved, you want to make sure you're not going there because it's not a blessed place. Some people say, I'm just going to go party with all my friends. No, you're not. I'm not saying all your friends might not be there, but don't think that you're going to be communicating with them back and forth. You're going to be totally isolated from the presence of God in a horrible place, knowing that you're there because of your sin, knowing that you're there because you had an opportunity to come to Christ, to come to the cross, and you just thought, I'll do it later. I don't need it now. You know, none of us are guaranteed another breath. I could drop dead right now. Any one of us could. And we need to be assured that when that happens, that we know where we're going. Not based on who we are. It's based on who Christ is. It's based on the work that he did on Calvary. That's where our faith and trust is. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, I, I pray that you would cry out to him, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he'll, he'll, he'll answer that prayer. The last thing I see here in this text is you see this promise to the centurion in verse 13. He said, and Jesus said unto this centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so it be done unto you. And it says the servant was healed that same hour. Jesus said, you know what, I'll just go back home, you know, because remember, he sent all these people to talk to him, the Roman soldier did. And so he said, hey, go back home, it's already done. It's a done deal, he's healed. I mean, can you imagine this little boy, all of a sudden, all this palsy, whatever was controlling his body is gone. He jumps out of bed. Master, I'm healed, what'd you do? And the soldier must say, hey, it wasn't me. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing story. And I think that, that Jesus, you know, here, he didn't have to do this, but he did. And this guy's faith was just incredible. You see how, how it just promotes the glory of God. I mean, today we have this, you know, name it and claim it kind of a thing. Just got to claim that miracle. I don't see this going on here. I see somebody approaching Christ very humbly on behalf of somebody else. Yeah, the centurion's faith is talked about here, but can you imagine his faith after he knew that his servant was healed? The interesting thing, it doesn't talk anything about the servant's faith. It doesn't say he had any faith at all in anybody. See, the interesting thing here, what we have to point out is that somewhere in this healing business, God's sovereignty is important to understand. You know, you don't just go to God and claim a healing and think, oh, why didn't it happen? Oh, it must be your faith. Jesus healed people with no faith at all. It had nothing to do with their faith. It had to do with whether it was his will for them to be healed or not. I think of another situation in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. You remember Paul cried out to be healed several times. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. Does that make God a bad God? No. It just means that, you know what? Sometimes he heals people, sometimes he doesn't. But it's his sovereign choice. We don't have a right to go to God and demand anything. And we need to kind of remember that sometimes. Even in the simplest of prayers. God, is this your will that I do? I really want to do this, but is this your will that I do? I'm going in this direction. Lord, is this the way that you want me to go? I got this promotion at work, and God, you know, it looks good. It's more money. It's better working hours, all this stuff. But God, is this what you want me to do? See, so many times we, we jump at opportunities like that, and then months later, we're kind of going, oh, how do I get myself into this? <laughs> See, what looks as a blessing sometimes is not. And God can filter those things out if we give him a chance. 
And with that, we come to the end of our time today here on Graceful Truth. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, 650-366-9923, 650-366-9923, or visit us online at gracefultruth.org. And as we close out our time together, back to Pastor Steve once again for a special announcement. Steve? Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 2nd, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author Cynthia Heald for our Fall Women's Conference. All the registration information can be found on our church website at www.gracebibleonline.org. Once again, that's gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available, so you can simply download it, print it out, fill it out, and mail it to the address indicated. Or you can simply give us a call here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Once again, the number is 650-366-9923. We hope to see you in October. Thank you, Steve. And until next week at the same time, may the Lord richly bless you as you seek Christ and his graceful truth. Music